0: We're so happy that you chose to join us today. Yes,
1: I'm excited to talk about this case that we have for you today.
0: Melissa has been very tight-lipped about this case. I don't even know the name of the person that she's doing. I know nothing, so I'm really curious. What are we talking about?
1: Well, we joke about all the time becoming millionaires, right? And how much life would be so much easier if we had millions
0: to spend. Oh, yeah, it totally would be. (laughs) I think it would be, but maybe that's because we're not millionaires. (laughs) I guess so. People always say, oh, money doesn't make you happy, but I feel like, well, I would like the chance to try it out.
1: (laughs) I would like to test that theory. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But for the couple of self-made millionaires that we're going to talk about today, it was just the start of a sinister path that would leave a
0: parent of two beautiful girls brutally stabbed. Oh, no. Well, and definitely. I mean, I'm joking that money makes you happy, but it can definitely cause some evil things to happen. We've talked about that before in some of our other cases.
1: Yes. And the root of all evil is? Money. That's right. Money, money, money. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this case is going to prove that today. Jim Fayad met Pamela Goody in 1998 when they were both in Southern California on a weekend motorcycle ride with friends. James Michael Fayad, a.k.a. Jim, was working as an electrician at the local military base continuing a family tradition of serving in the military in his own way he was born to james john Fayad and his wife marion collins and grew up in maryland in a family with five children he was the youngest and it was a typical childhood pamela was born on august 30th 1963 and she was a native of salt lake city utah and now worked as a jeweler she was a single mom raising a six-year-old daughter named desiree from a previous relationship. Okay. They were introduced by mutual friends and they hit it off almost immediately. Our relationship developed quickly and Jim became a father figure to Desiree. He was loving and caring and stepped up to the job of being a stepfather. It was like a dream come true for Pamela.
0: Aw, good for him.
1: He seemed to be the nicest guy. When Pamela became pregnant and gave birth to the couple's daughter in January 1999, It was a natural progression for the couple to get married just five months after the birth in Las Vegas. Fun. Quick, but fun. Yeah. In a familiar story, though, the honeymoon period came to a halt soon after the nuptials. Within a year of their daughter's birth, Jim filed for divorce in January 2000. Oh. The two were having financial difficulties, and Jim's work took him away from home often. And Pamela didn't like to be left alone to raise two girls by herself.
0: And especially with a brand new baby, that's a stressful time. That takes a lot out of you. The family would have money coming in when he
1: was away, but then because he was a contract worker, when he didn't have a contract, there was no money coming in. She was a jeweler, but could only work. When somebody else was there to take care of the kids, they didn't have money for somebody else to take care of the kids. And so she wasn't bringing in a lot of income either. And so financial difficulties for this couple were a real struggle. And that's what seems to be
0: what started a lot of their fights. Oh, that is often what couples will fight about. And that's a stressful time. When you bring a new baby into the house? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like a lot of couples get put in that vicious cycle of, I need you home to help me, but I need you to be out working to provide for our family at the same time. And so it feels like a no win when you're in that situation.
1: And there's not a lot either party can do about those feelings. Right. But two weeks after filing, he dismissed the actions in Ventura County. The couple had decided that they were going to work things out. So he dropped the divorce. But according to Dan's older sister, Mary, the couple really never recovered after that.
0: Yeah, that would be an obstacle knowing that your husband had filed for divorce you would maybe have some resentments. Like, I have a brand new baby and he's going to file for divorce. I don't think I would look on it kindly either. No.
1: So Mary, Jim's older sister, she would tell people that Pamela had developed an intense hatred for her dear brother and that she was abusive and threatening towards him. She was not a fan of Pamela's. Once they recommitted to their marriage, they started thinking of ways that they could make some money because they recognized that the financial stress was what was killing their marriage. Mm-hmm. So they put their heads together and they combine Pamela's love of precious metals with working with jewelry and Jim's love for collecting coins. Together, they started a company called Goldfinger Coin and Bullion Sales, a company that was established in Delaware that bought and sold old coins for profit. Oh,
0: smart. Mm-hmm. They were
1: ingenious.
0: But I feel like I'm holding my breath because I know it's going to go downhill. <laughs> but it seems like, OK, they've found a solution to their marital problem and their financial problem. Yeah.
1: The trading company made money in a variety of ways. After establishing the parent company, they opened eBullion, an internet portion for the company. eBullion was started by clients opening a PayPal account. Customers would then open an eBullion account, and then the customers would log on to their eBullion site and fund an account with cash or with gold. From there, they had access to a platform that would trade gold online. Wow. Goldfinger would buy and store gold and then allow others to purchase and trade what they had in their stores at current market values. It was almost like they had opened this little
0: mini bank. Yeah, it sounds like it. Mm -hmm. And were they kind of like pioneers in doing this with gold or was this being done by lots of other companies? It was just the beginning of e-commerce. So originally
1: they started just buying and selling old coins, but then they realized that they could collect coins and make profit from selling the coins but then once they had some profit in the bank they started borrowing against that and purchasing actual gold and then once they had gold in the account they actually started allowing other people to purchase their gold and move it around and trade it
0: right and then they took a small percentage that's right just a
1: small percentage two percent which adds up with a lot of customers there was also a monthly service charge for registered accounts and the gold would be valued and appreciated on a regular basis At first, the company was a very small trading company that the couple operated out of their condo. But as the business grew, they moved into an office building a few miles from their house and soon had to bring on three additional employees to help with the demand of their business. And then a bigger office and more employees. And the demand for the business just kept on growing and growing. In 2001, they incorporated in Jamaica. Wow, that is a really quick
0: business growth. Yeah. Like that's within just like a couple of years. Exponential business growth. Yeah. Actually, that would be like within a year. Mm -hmm. Wow. It was super, super
1: quick. And they went all of a sudden from this couple that was struggling with their finances to all of a sudden they had a lot of income coming in.
0: Hmm. (laughs) How can we make that happen in the next year for us? (laughs) I want to do this. Maybe not the way they did it, but.
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) Jim was listed for the company as president of Goldfinger, and Pamela was listed as vice president and secretary in name. Because they offered rates much lower than other companies, they gained popularity quickly and became very lucrative. Because of its success, the family of four was able to purchase a nicer home in a nicer neighborhood on Baja Vista Way in Camarilla, California. The family was able to buy more material things and live a more comfortable lifestyle. They were realizing their dreams of becoming rich. In 2004, they hired Jose Moya, who everybody knew as Joey, to run the warehouse that was now needed to house the gold for their company. A whole warehouse of gold? hmm Wow. When they purchased a second home for a weekend retreat, Joey's duties expanded to taking care of the new property that they had nicknamed Happy Camp Ranch that spanned over 200 acres.
0: What? Mm-hmm. In California? In California.
1: Whoa. That's incredible. It was a horse ranch. They wanted their girls to learn to ride. And it was just this weekend retreat that they would go to. And they had Joey living on the property
0: in the guest house, maintaining it while they were back in the city. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Joey gets a place to live. They have this place that they can retreat to. Mm -hmm. And Joey
1: was somebody that originally Pamela had come across. He was down on his luck and she had given him his job at the warehouse. And then he just continued to gain their trust. He was a really nice guy. And so they just kept on giving him more and more responsibilities. And eventually becomes like Jim's right-hand man. So whatever Jim needs done, that's what Joey's going to do.
0: So right now they sound like a lovely couple. Helping this guy out down on his luck. Not taking advantage of the customers by charging a lower fee. Like they sound great. Mm -hmm.
1: And by reports from their oldest daughter, Desiree, She never even actually knew that they were millionaires. She said she knew that they were well off and that, you know, they could do things that they wanted to do. But her parents never gave her the aura of that they were better than anybody else or that they flaunted their money in any way.
0: Right. That's good. Mm -hmm. So they seem to be pretty down-to-earth people. That means they didn't go to a big Beverly Hills restaurant demanding a table because of who they are and how much wealth they have.
1: Exactly. Between 2001 and 2007, the company experienced unprecedented success. Based on tax returns, the company was making millions of dollars and profits were growing exponentially. To say that they were rolling in the money would be an understatement.
0: Just a ranch full of money. (laughs) Just fill that barn over there with all my cash. Reading about how much money they had
1: is shocking. And maybe it's just shocking to you and I, because (laughs) we're not millionaires.
0: That's right. We're like, you got enough change for a Slurpee? Let's That's go! Right.
1: <laughs> Bonus down to toony. <laughs>
0: yes, I'm getting a chocolate bar too. <laughs> yeah.
1: But in 2002, the company reported a profit of 9.3 million. Wow!
0: In 2002. In 2002.
1: In 2003, 14.3 million, and in 2004, another 14.8 million. And this is where it starts to really pick up. In 2005, with the company taking in. $27.7 million and then experience exponential growth over the next two years. In 2006, it was $73.2 million and in 2007, a whopping $160
0: million. (laughs) My jaw is open right now. I'm like, whoa, that's incredible. That is a
1: lot of money.
0: Yeah. Starting this in their little condo when they could hardly make ends meet, and now they're making over $100 million.
1: Yeah. It's like that dream story. Yeah.
0: It's totally a rags to riches, the American dream. Yeah. In less than 10 years.
1: Yeah. But How much would you put up with for that much money?
0: How much do I put up with in my life right now for no money?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Touche, Christy. (laughs)
0: So probably a lot. (laughs) I'm doing this for free. (laughs) That is so true. There would be a limit.
1: Would you put a limit on it for that much? 160 million a year?
0: Well, there would. Yeah, there would be some limits. Like I wouldn't allow my children to be abused or. That's true. You know, if he was a rapist or, you know, so there would be limits, but they would be pretty far out their limits. I I ain't saying she's a gold digger.
1: it would make life so much more comfortable i think it right? would and if you weren't
0: stressing about money then you could stress about a few other things yeah and you could live in like different wings of the home oh, <laughs> because i could go and get a massage and i could have all these things to help me so true but in the case of jim and
1: pamela the age-old saying of money can't buy you happiness did prove to be true and it is true i'm just joking with most of it yeah <laughs> things in their world would start to unravel in 2006. Along with the business's success, Jim's ego and the need to control things also grew exponentially. Oh, went to his head. Uh Uh-huh, he went from this guy that was super sweet and caring and ready to step in and be a stepfather and just fully immersed in that role. And then as he became president of the company, that role went to his head and he started demanding that he needed to make all of the decisions all of the time. At the same time Jim was enjoying this title of president, he began to suffer severely from rheumatoid arthritis, a disease that debilitated him and confined him to his bed for very long periods of time. He was observed to take a lot of medication during this time, and it would make him appear that he was out of it. And people close to him would claim that he was addicted to his pain meds. Oh no. So this was a time of tension in the family because here he is this guy that now has this huge ego and wants to be the man and make all the decisions and be in control of everything. And yet his physical limitations are confining him to a bed and just providing so much frustration for him.
0: And that would be hard because he's probably attributing all of their success to the choices and decisions that he has made because they're self-made millionaires. It's not like he's just got hired as the president of this company. And so he's maybe feeling like, well, if I'm not there to do it all, We might not continue to grow. We might fail. I have to do it. That's right. And in the years leading up to this
1: time, so from 2001 to 2006, Pamela had thought she had realized her dream too. That she had the title of vice president and secretary, but because Jim was so demanding that he make all the decisions, she was allowed or given the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom, which she enjoyed. Yeah. And that's what she had always wanted when she was slogging away as a single mom. She dreamed of being a stay-at-home mom, being able to do all of those extra things with her kids and for her kids that she couldn't do that work had pulled her away from before.
0: And honestly, like making that kind of money, unless she was wanting to work... It wasn't that she was needing to work.
1: No, she didn't need to work at all. And so Mm -hmm. she had the choice of when she went into the office or whether she didn't. If it didn't work with her schedule, she could totally choose. Oh, sounds like a dream. (laughs) Right? But for Jim, there were days that he couldn't go into work because of his physical limitations. And he had to work from home. And he was already the more subdued member of the relationship. So Pamela was like the face of the company. She was the socialite. She was the one that would schmooze all the customers and the clients. And Jim was more the backside of the company that would run the behind the scenes. And so when he was forced to stay at home, he actually became more of a recluse. Oh, okay. And he would stay up all night doing all of the gold trades from his computer at home and then leave the all day work to someone else.
0: Oh, okay. And so he just kind of started to shut out of everybody else's lives. Because then he's not even interacting with the other people that are working at his company. Not at all. All of a sudden, he was no longer the one in
1: control as Pamela left being a stay-at-home mom to fill in for him at work during the day. Oh, and now his ego is going to get in the way. That's right. Because now she's doing his job and trying to make decisions that he thinks he's the only one that should make them. Oh.
0: Why does ego always have to get in the way? <laughs>
1: well, and when you've got the money to back up that ego, it can grow exponentially.
0: For sure. But instead of saying, gee, thanks, honey, for taking over while I can't, he's going to resent her. Mm-hmm. Fighting between the couple just increased.
1: And again, they're fighting about money in their marriage. This time, it's not fighting over no money, but now they're fighting over who has control of their millions. Wow. At some point during his illness, his sister Mary came to live at the ranch with her son Robert. Mary was never Pamela's biggest fan, and she did not appreciate the way Pamela looked after the business more than she did her brother. And so she just kind of... Picked away at the relationship. Mary, mind your own business. (laughs) Or it seems that she picked away
0: at the relationship. I mean, when you want your brother to be happy and have a happy marriage rather than pointing out all the flaws in his wife. Yeah. Like that kind of behavior irritates me, to be honest.
1: Well, and what choice did Pamela have? Yeah. Like he couldn't go in and run the business. Are you going to let a multi-million dollar company just kind of run by itself? No, you can't. No, you need somebody at the head. And if he can't go into the business, then she thought she was doing something good by stepping in yeah, and trying to keep it up and running.
0: Well, she was. But then if his ego's already bruised and now his sister is in there just adding fuel to the fire, this is not good. No, not at all.
1: Rumors soon began to circulate that Pamela was having an affair But those rumors would actually remain unsubstantiated and denied by both the guy that was she was rumored to have an affair with and Pamela all denied that there was no affair going on. But all of a sudden when Mary showed up, these rumors started to circulate.
0: Mm, She's trying to get her out of the picture. I'll help you run your company, brother.
1: Yeah. And she, Mary does seem to like weasel her way into being his liaison between the company and where he's runs everything out of his home.
0: Huh. I wonder, like, was she malicious in this or were her intentions pure? You know, was she really like, oh, my brother's ill. I need to go help him. I need to make sure that he's being taken care of and that his interests are still number one over Pamela's. Yeah, because she didn't trust Pamela. Right.
1: And I think probably they were probably pure. You
0: think so to begin with? To begin with. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then I think as money does, I think it corrupts people.
0: It absolutely can.
1: And then you get used to that lifestyle and you want to maintain it. Mm hmm. So in April 2007, the U.S. Attorney's Office, along with the IRS in California and the FBI, opened an investigation into all the gold trading that was happening at the time. So from 2000 to 2007, gold went up in stock hugely. And so they had bought stores and stores of gold before. But not only that, they were trading it now and people were trading it back and forth. And so really... At the end, where all their money was coming from is people's trading fees, Wow! not even their actual stores of gold.
0: Yeah, because 2% of 1800 is much greater than 2% of 200 That's right. Yeah. So and that's, that's just per ounce. Yeah.
1: At this time, this is when e-transactions were really starting to come on board. And so the FBI were investigating a lot of e-commerce businesses because it was a new thing and there mm-hmm. were new ways to create avenues for fraud. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. So they created this whole investigation unit in 2007, and they started to shut down companies similar to Goldfinger's that were located in Utah. A woman involved in a business in Utah, a friend of Pamela's, told Pamela that she needed a specific kind of trading license, or her business would be shut down as well. Transferring money outside of the state required a special license to do so, and for the past seven years, they have been doing this without this license. Okay. Okay. So Pamela and Jim disagreed over the need to get these licenses.
0: So Jim didn't think that they needed to?
1: No. Jim said the amount of money that it would cost to get the licenses was way too high, that they had been operating for this long without them, why bother? He also told Pamela that he was afraid that it would bring suspicion down on their company's clients.
0: By getting a license and making it legit?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that seems a little suspicious. And remember up until he got sick, he was handling all of the business by himself. And so he knew more of the inner workings of the business than Pamela did. So when Pamela came in, she was like, okay, yeah, we need to get this license. We need to be on the up and up. I want this company, we're growing well, we're making a ton of money. There's no reason why we can't spend the
0: fees to get the licenses. Yeah, and so was there some shady works going on that Jim knew about that Pamela didn't? That is the speculation. Okay, because if you have nothing to hide, you don't hide anything.
1: That's right. Yeah. And some people have even went as far to speculate as that's why they didn't flaunt their wealth in front of people. Oh. Because mm-hmm. he wanted to avoid any speculation or any investigations into the company. Interesting. The fighting between the two became intense and Jim moved into the ranch house by himself by the end of September, early October in 2007. On October 4th, 2007, Jim filed for a divorce for a second time. Hmm. He was just feeling like she wasn't really listening to him about these licenses. There were these rumors circulating that she was having affairs. And so he was like, no, you know what? I'm done. I don't need you anymore. And he wanted full control of the company. Two days later, though, Pamela made payments towards getting the license without Jim's approval. Because remember, she's still vice president of the company. Yeah. In total, she would pay out over 400000
0: Yeah, that is a steep cost. But when you have $160 million every single year, that's nothing. Yeah. That's slurpy money for them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there were lots of hoops to jump through. There was lots of things. They had to go through lots of background checks. Every trader in the company, so any employee, had to go through extensive background checks. And you had to file plans and procedures that your company was going to follow to make sure that there was no fraud or Ponzi schemes going on. And so it was quite involved.
0: And that is a high price. Like that's pretty steep to get Mm -hmm. licensing done for the government.
1: Yeah. And around the same time, she hired a criminal defense lawyer to
0: protect herself.
1: So I think now that she's been involved with the company a little bit more, she realizes that there might actually be something shady going on. And so she arms herself with a criminal defense lawyer.
0: Smart. And pays for the licenses, showing that she's trying to run the business within the law. And she
1: wants the business to continue. Mm -hmm. After doing so, though, Jim accused her of embezzling the money and terminated her from the company. What? Yeah. So she went and she took this money out of the company's account. And what she's saying is that I, I took it out to start the process of getting all of these licenses in order. And as soon as she did that, he accused her of embezzling money and then used that as grounds to fire her from the company.
0: Was she not part owner? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So now she's fired from her position as vice president. That's right. She's no longer vice president or secretary. Okay. So now she can't do anything with the company.
1: Now she has no decision-making abilities whatsoever. Huh. Desiree, who was now 18, she'd been working at the company as well through her teenage years. She was also fired a week later, and both mother and daughter were banned from the premises of the company.
0: Oh, so you're not really her father figure. It's like, "Mm, I'm going to get rid of one. You can just go too. And that kind of shows his true colors. Like that's leaving a bad taste in my mouth. You just throw your daughter aside.
1: Yeah. This one that you have raised since she was six years old. For the last 12 years, you've been a father figure. And now you're like, nope, you're going to side with your mother. So I'm going to kick you out too. Yeah. That's totally a dirtbag move.
0: Mm -hmm. He's sounding like a dirtbag. Yeah. On the 17th of that same
1: month, both Jim and Pamela made declarations each throwing accusations at each other. At the end of the hearing on that date, there were stipulations that they both agreed to. Both parties agreed that the divorce proceedings had to be kept pretty hush-hush because of the intertwineness of the company's assets with the couples. A private judge was hired to hear the divorce hearings to protect the company from the public learning about the inner workings of the company. So competitors didn't get their company secrets. Makes sense. So they both agreed like, this is how we need to handle this. For sure. It was also set out that Jim would operate the company and maintain control, but there would be payments made to Pamela for a variety of other things. James agreed to pay Pamela $4,000 every two weeks from the company until the divorce terms were finalized. So that would be like her paycheck, even though he had terminated her.
0: And that's not very much considering how much they're making. Like that's a lot for the everyday person. But for what they're making, $8,000 a month is nothing. It's not.
1: And shortly after that... Jim actually cut those payments down significantly to less than $2,000 per month. What? Yes. And that's
0: impossible to live off of. Like, I'm just thinking of, like, you hear in the news different, like, professional athletes. Like, even what they pay in child support a month is, like, way more than that. Yeah. Let alone, like, if they had to pay alimony or other things.
1: Just totally unrealistic. But it was that way of, yeah, I'll pay that. And then... I'm going to show you how much I'm in control, and so I'm just going to cut your funds even further.
0: What a jerk.
1: Yeah. Pamela was upset about the disparity in the incomes that she and Jim were receiving from the business, and she pressed further for an actual forensic accounting of the company to see just how much Jim and the company that she helped create were making.
0: Yeah, because I guarantee it's way more than
1: $2,000 a month. That's right. During this time period, forensic accountants showed that Jim was pulling $125,000 a month from the company <gasps> and giving his wife two and his two daughters oh
0: I want to swear <laughs> it's just such a
1: dirtbag thing to do right he is
0: such a dirtbag
1: and you have money around
0: yeah shame on you mm-hmm. like would you not want your girls to have the same lifestyle that they've been having like yeah. you're not just hurting your wife you're hurting your daughters. your daughters
1: yeah It was suggested that he was trying to liquefy the company's assets very quickly. His lawyers began to stonewall Pamela's divorce lawyers and shut down communications between them. Allegedly, this allowed time for the assets to be liquefied and then hidden. The stonewalling made it very difficult for Pamela to know what was going on in the business during this time because she wasn't even allowed to step foot on the property.
0: What? Oh, this guy is a piece of work. What a slimy, slimy slug of a man.
1: Power has gone to his head. He wants to control
0: absolutely everything. And this is his way
1: of getting back at her. Being like, oh, you thought you could do something behind my back. So watch what I do to you now.
0: He is delusional. (laughs) Like, honestly, she was trying to do something good for the company. And now you're treating her like a child and trying to punish her. Mm -hmm. Shame on you, Jim. Yeah. Not a nice guy.
1: No. Up until almost the end of June, Pamela's lawyers continued to try and find out what the assets of the company really were. Based on the limited data available to him, Pamela's attorney filed documents to seek $66,000 per month in spousal and child support. That's a big difference from $2,000.
0: Oh yeah, that sounds more appropriate for their income.
1: Mm -hmm. Her divorce attorney requested the judge to award Pamela's various sanctions against her husband. That all totaled around a million dollars. That hearing was scheduled for July 29th. So they put together all these documents and they are going to go to the judge and say, this is what we propose that Jim pay Pamela. And these were the figures that they were going to present to the judge on July 29th.
0: Okay. And she should be entitled to half of what the company is worth. Mm-hmm. This was just trying to settle in between. Okay. Because
1: originally they had come to this handshake deal of, okay, I'll give you $4,000 every two weeks. That'll tide you over until everything's actually decided. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: would you love a million dollars for in between money? It's hard to feel sorry for them when they... No, but over a million dollars. But I do feel sorry for them because he's trying to screw her out of all of this money. And she helped build the company. Yeah, the company would not exist without her. To make the divorce even messier was the
1: fact that during this time period, the FBI and the IRS were investigating suspicions of money laundering during the online transactions. Mm. So just like you had guessed, Jim's business dealings weren't always on the up and up. On February 26, 2008, Jim and Goldfinger were indicted on federal charges of operating an unlicensed money transmitting business. Interestingly, Pamela was not indicted. While the FBI could not prove that Jim was directly connected to Ponzi schemes, they hoped to use the business to uncover illegal money transmitting among the customers. So they couldn't directly connect him to knowing what was going on with the accounts being transferred through his business, but they were going to use it to catch other people.
0: Right. And guaranteed. He was such a control freak. Guaranteed he knew what was going on. hmm And
1: very, very few times in life will anybody make that kind of money that quickly on the up and up.
0: Yeah. It does happen,
1: but... Mm-hmm. Not very often. In June 2008, Pamela discovered through her forensic accountants for the divorce that they had received a subpoena from the FBI. And so that's how she was alerted to the indictment because it was actually sealed and nobody knew about it. Hmm. She agreed to go in and discuss the indictment with an FBI agent. Even though the indictment was sealed, Jim somehow learned that Pamela was considering cooperating with the investigation and she was considering testifying against him.
0: Yeah, and you deserve it.
1: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. He or she was trying to do the right thing and he's raising a fuss over it. Pamela had asked to speak to the investigative team and had been gathering boxes of printed emails and business communications prior to her death. These communications dated back to 2006. So she was actually going through all of her old data and pulling things, printing them and storing them in boxes in a storage unit. As summer began, Jim stood to lose a lot of money because of Pamela. Not only through the divorce, but through her cooperation with the criminal investigation as well. In the summer, Jim asked his chief information officer at the company to withdraw an aggregated amount of $26,000, which was more than they normally pulled out. Usually it was like $800 at a time. Every so often, Jim and the company would have their officer pull out money from various ATMs and make withdrawals from the company to make sure that nobody could commit fraud. And then they would pull this money out and then they would put it right back in. It was a way of them checking how the transactions worked. Okay. And so he told the information officer to give this total sum to Joey, who would then return it to Jim later on. The information officer withdrew the money, put it in a cardboard box, sealed it with security tape, and then gave it to Joey. Joey was a trusted person in the company. He was the one that took care of the warehouse. He took care of the Happy Camp Ranch. So he didn't really think twice about handing the money over to Joey. Yeah. Jim then told the information officer at a later date that Joey had given the money back to him. But, interestingly, no subsequent deposit of that amount was ever made back into the company's accounts.
0: Yeah, he's stashing it.
1: Instead, Jim used the money to pay his right-hand man, Joey, $25,000 to kill his wife. (gasps) Joey's not going to do it, is he? He's a nice guy, and Pamela saved him. Are you for real? Joey...
0: There's, I was not expecting this. There's many dirtbags in this story. Joey, $25,000 is your number. I was going to ask you, is there a number that you could hit?
1: $25,000? I don't think I would kill anybody for $25,000.
0: Well, when a multimillionaire is coming to you and you know he has that kind of money and he's offering you $25,000, like he could blow his nose with $25,000. Yeah, that's nothing, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Joey, don't sell out. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't anyways, but $25,000? That's nothing. No. Oh, no, I didn't see this coming. That's what I thought, too. So by eliminating Pamela, Jim
1: eliminated the need for the nasty divorce and the custody battle. And he also eliminated Pamela as a witness against him.
0: Yeah. And what did he use that extra one thousand for? Why twenty six thousand just to give him twenty five? Like, oh, I need an extra thousand dollars just to plump up my wallet. It might have been for expenses to Buy carry a gun out the hit. Or something, yeah. maybe. Okay. I'm not
1: exactly sure where that extra thousand went. <laughs>
0: so random.
1: Yeah. But Jim's thinking was that he would kill two birds with one stone. Terrible. Joey would subcontract the murder out to Gabriel J. Marquez, the boyfriend of his niece, and Stephen Simmons, Marquez's nephew, both members of a local gang.
0: So now Joey's getting even less money because now he has to cut it with these two gang members. Yeah,
1: and I could never find out how much he actually promised those two. From the onset of the divorce and since agreeing to speak with the FBI, Pamela had started to have the sixth sense that her life was in danger. She started asking friends and family members to escort her to and from her car, all the time she bought a handgun for protection and expressed on several occasions a fear for her safety there were even times that she believed that she was being followed while she drove from one place to another that's wild and her fear was not misplaced over the course of a couple of months jim arranged for at least four attempts on her life what but each time the plan fell through
0: did she know that they were attempts on her life or just this was happening behind the scenes and she wasn't aware that they had fallen through
1: it was happening behind the scenes.
0: Oh, okay. But she did
1: have like this sixth sense and friends that spoke to her right before she died said that her nerves were totally frayed. She did not look like the same person anymore. She had lost weight. She knew something was up. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: this is terrible.
1: One of the attempts on her life took place on the 4th of July and fell through because of the fear Pam had. She stayed with a friend the whole time she was at a party in Malibu, even carpooling with friends. And this hit was supposed to take place as a carjacking. But because there were other people, they pulled out.
0: Yeah, because they didn't want to kill more people than they were hired for.
1: That's right. 25,000 was only good for one person.
0: This is insane. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to believe that someone that you've built a life with, you've loved, you've had this relationship, you've built all this stuff together, can be so callous and cold hearted. I
1: can't imagine living with that fear.
0: She actually
1: was anticipating this. She thought it was going to happen.
0: Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. that is terrible because those last moments of her life then were totally filled with fear.
1: Yeah. On July 28, 2008, both Jim and Pamela attended meetings at the Century City office building at 3:30. They were meeting with lawyers for counsel for the hearing for the next day where the assets were going to be divided by the judge that they had hired. At 258 Jim places a call to Joey. The surveillance cameras in the parking garage show a red Suzuki SUV pull into the parking garage at 3.48 and the driver takes a parking ticket. And the SUV was reddish. Some say it was burgundy, some say it was red, so I'm just going to call it red from now on. Okay. The SUV is the one that has been rented for Jim's nephew the month before and had not yet been returned to the rental company. The three henchmen lay in wait for the unsuspecting Pamela. Jim makes another call to Joey just 39 minutes before the attack. After the meeting had concluded, Pamela left the building at 6.32. As she gets onto the elevator, a stranger holds the door for her. Once out of the elevator, she heads to her car, which is parked on the third floor of the high-rise parking structure attached to the Watt Tower at 1875 Century Park East in Century City. She didn't ask anybody to escort her to her car this time. She probably felt that it was safe in a public building, The area was not known for crime, and it was in broad daylight.
0: Oh, which is super sad because the second she puts
1: her guard down, something's going to happen. Yep. And that just shows you how much they were tracking her movements, that Jim was actually like on the phone being like, okay, now's the time. Yeah, she's alone. Yeah, she's heading to the car alone. She's leaving the meeting alone. Oh. As she walks in between her black Yukon and the vehicle next to hers, she gets her keys out. At that moment, someone gets out of the left rear side of the red SUV wearing a hood and armed with a knife. Her first screams are heard at 634. Spectators were able to see and hear her screams for life. She is repeatedly stabbed in an overhead motion, but she continues to fight for her life, gripping onto the parking lot railing and alerting witnesses below. What? Yeah. So this is why she felt that she was safe is because she's in a public area. She's not all by herself. That is wild. Yeah. There are other people in the parking lot.
0: How brazen to just... Oh, she's here right now alone. We'll just do this. We'll hack her up while well, people are watching. Mm-hmm. Do people intervene? They don't get to her in time.
1: Oh. One of the witnesses watches her grip the railing because you know the railing that goes over the cement. She's on the third floor. Grips the railing and be drug off the <gasps> railing because they're in the business building across from them and they can see her being drugged back into the darkness. Oh, how terrifying. Mm -hmm. People on the street saw her struggling with her attacker and heard her scream, help me, over and over again. An onlooker in a building across the street was able to see the blood from the 12th floor of his building down to the third floor of the parking garage. That's how much blood there was. Wow. Even at a distance, they could see the blood evidence of the brutal attack that was taking place before their eyes. The killer cut through the right side of her neck and she started to bleed to death. A witness, Edwin Rivera, wanted to take a nap in his car before he took the long drive home. He notices on the way to his vehicle, so he frequents the parking garage. He parks on the third floor all the time. So he notices on the way to his vehicle, the red SUV parked near the elevators. It's unusual because it's not a car he normally sees on the third floor. And he took particular notice because it was really odd that the driver was in a black hoodie in 90 degree weather. Oh, But he just assumes that it's someone else that is just biding time and napping until the rush hour is over. So that was a fairly common thing to happen. Okay. And he assumes this because that's what he had planned to do. So he
0: doesn't alert anybody to it. And really, would you? You know, you see a guy just parked with a hoodie on. Like, that's not something that you'd normally like, oh, I need to call the police. You're not anticipating that there's murderers just
1: lying in wait where you are. He walks six cars down, gets into his vehicle and shuts his eyes. The screaming alerts him that something is wrong a short time later. He observes a tall man wearing a hoodie getting into the rear driver's side door of the SUV that's parked behind Pamela's Yukon, blocking her in. He yells out to bystanders to get the license plate. He recognizes the getaway car as the red SUV from earlier that he thought was odd. When Edwin gets to Pamela's car, originally what his brain had told him was a heap of clothing starts to rise and walk towards him. Pamela's eyes are the only thing not covered in blood. (gasps) As she begged him to help her and let her not die, he assures her that help is coming. She continues to try and breathe, but only gurgling sounds are coming out. Her neck has been cut. When the paramedics arrive, Edwin frantically asks if she's going to make it, but they can't find a pulse. Her time of death was noted at 6.43. Pamela Fayette had been killed in the way that she had feared most. She had always been terrified by knives, and Jim knew this. Oh, no. Just to make it that much more terrifying.
0: He is evil. Like we've passed just regular dirtbag. That is evil to try and kill the woman that you're married to in the way that would most horrify her.
1: Yeah. It's just not a simple, you know, bullet through the head. She won't feel any pain. Yeah. He wanted it to be an attack with a knife so that she would feel that fear. And feel every single slice. Mm Mm-hmm. An autopsy would later reveal that the fatal wound was a three inch long gash no more than an inch deep along the right side of her neck that severed the carotid artery. The angle of the wound was consistent with someone standing behind Pamela and drawing the knife across her throat. There were two other significant wounds on her neck that showed that the attacker had tried and almost succeeded twice before cutting her neck and delivering that final blow. So repeatedly she had somebody stand behind her and try to slash her throat. And because she was struggling, it took the third attempt to do it. Yeah. In total, Pamela was significantly cut or stabbed 11 times. And a lot of them reported 13 times. But in the actual trial document, they only get to K in the wounds. Okay. So that's 11.
0: I've okay. used my fingers. No, to so did I. I've done it a whole bunch of times. Because <laughs>
1: like all the news reports say she was stabbed 13 times. But in the trial documents, the pathologist talks about wounds A through K. Okay. So in total, Pamela was significantly cut or stabbed 11 times with numerous smaller wounds and abrasions to her head, neck, chest, as well as defensive wounds to her arms during the struggle before her fight for life ended. Video shows that afterwards, the killers tried to leave through an employee exit, but their paper ticket wouldn't let them get out that way. The video shows someone getting out of the red SUV and trying to operate the machine with a paper ticket, but it doesn't work. The video then shows them backing up the vehicle and having to drive to a different exit. The exit that they have to go through, they have to hand the clerk a paper ticket, and they actually have to physically pay the thirty-two dollar fee on their way out. <gasps> they had laid in
0: wait for almost three hours to kill Pamela. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And were they not covered in blood, or it was just one who attacked her? Is the one who attacked her who is sitting in the back? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. How eerie for that person checking them out. Like taking their money and ticket and not knowing what they've just done. And you're letting a killer loose. Mm -hmm.
1: Wow. Or otherwise they would have still been there when the ambulance arrived. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't imagine what they sat and talked about that whole time.
0: Oh, probably just stupid everyday stuff. They probably were that callous. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how in that
1: amount of time, though, your conscience doesn't talk you out of it. Here's a perfect stranger. You have nothing to do with her. You don't know her at all. Yeah. And just for money, you're just going to kill her.
0: And not even that much money. No,
1: Split so it, three ways. That's not a that lot of money at all.
0: No, which speaks to their characters, mm-hmm. what they were willing to do. Yeah. The
1: security camera shows the license plate very clearly on the red SUV, six CLW five three five. During the commotion going on in the parking garage, Jim is in the plaza below. When everyone else in the plaza is watching the horror and trying to identify what the terrified, blood curdling screams mean. Jim is just walking around casually, like nothing at all is going on. And this is all caught on security cameras. Cuz he-, he
0: knows exactly what is happening and that just is so terrible mm-hmm. that he is listening to his wife die. He's listening to her last screams and just oh, yeah. what's this artwork over here?
1: He just continues to text on his phone while others are pointing and moving towards the source of the scream. Like everyone else is like oh, what's that and some are running towards it some are pointing you can watch the video and everybody's pointing off to the right hand side and he totally ignores it until several minutes into the screens and then he's like almost like an actor that's missed his cue kind of comes in late and is like oh yeah maybe I should react to this too wow but so callous that he just stands there and continues to text on his screen where this woman that he's been married to for nine
0: years is screaming and fighting for her life. The mother of his child. hmm And even like the people, if they were witnessing this because they're pointing, there would have been gasps and people talking and he would have heard that. Mm-hmm. And to just pretend that that wasn't happening. Yeah,
1: he doesn't even bother to lift his head. The surveillance video at the front entrance Shows Jim leaving the building at 7 p.m. by himself and getting into his private limousine.
0: I am so angry at this guy. I can't even believe it. In his private limousine. Yep. I'm going to be escorted away from the scene of the crime. Just shows how cold-hearted he is. Mm Mm-hmm. What a slime bucket. Over the next few hours, he will send 16 messages to Joey
1: as they collaborate their stories even at one point calls his lawyers into the ranch that night. Because he's expecting to get arrested or why did he have his lawyers there? I think he was expecting that he would be the prime suspect. Oh, okay. But he was very clever in making sure that he established that he was on camera. There was no way he could have done it. Mm
0: Right. And that's why he was walking around there. He was loitering so that
1: they could see it. He needed to be seen on camera. Oh. The lead detective arrives on the scene at 8.45 p.m. An investigation is launched immediately. From the evidence at the scene, it seems obvious that Pam was the target of a hit. Her purse and the vehicle remain at the scene. There's no signs of sexual assault. Nothing has been taken. So they suspect very strongly that it's been a hit and Mm -hmm. that she was the prime target.
0: And the very next day is when they're going to be dividing the assets. Like, this is not going to look good for you, Jim. No, not at all.
1: Detectives work on the biggest lead they have. They run the plate within the first two hours of the investigation. And it comes back to the Avis car rental company in Camarillo. The car was rented by Jim's company, Goldfinger. The police contact the rental company and request that if the vehicle is returned, that no one should touch it and should call the police immediately. What?
0: He rented it under his business name? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. You couldn't have come up with an alias? That's what the extra $1,000 was for. For the car? (laughs) Because he didn't buy a gun.
1: And the hoodies. So the parking ticket was recovered from the machine and it was dusted for prints the left palm print and the thumbprint would later be matched to one of the suspects.
0: Yeah, they're not too smart, are they?
1: No. Well, you get what you pay for, right? Yeah. He didn't pay huge money for this hit. And so he's getting pretty sloppy work.
0: And these weren't people who were hit men. No, not right? at all. Yeah, these were a couple gang members who were willing to do it.
1: Yeah, and it's Joey who's his ranch hand. That's kind of orchestrating it all. Oh, Police executed a search warrant at the Happy Camp Branch on the evening of July 29th. And during the search warrant, police find one kilogram gold bars around Joey's house and a silver metal suitcase with an American Express business card in Jim's name. In a Ziploc bag, they find twenty-four thousand nine hundred and eighty dollars.
0: What they spend the twenty bucks on? I don't
1: know. <laughs> Lunch to sit in the vehicle. Probably. I don't know. There were also 62 pounds of gold bars and coins that were found in the residences. So just lying around their house. Yeah. Not even trying
0: to hide all this evidence.
1: No. And it's not even evidence. That's just how much money they had lying around their properties. Wow. About $6.3 million worth of change just lying around in the living room.
0: Whoa. Mm-hmm.
1: And today that's $8.5 million. <laughs> That's incredible. Needless to say, Jim was a serious flight risk. He doesn't get bail
0: yeah no kidding
1: on august 3rd the suv was actually returned one day early from its rental agreement but it was returned overnight into slip 7 at the rental bay the condition of the vehicle when it was returned to avis in the middle of the night was washed and steam cleaned however blood was recovered from the interior of the vehicle that matched the dna to pamela in four different locations good the killer tracked her blood into the car
0: Yeah, well, that would have been a bloody scene. Mm -hmm. So the attacker would have been covered himself.
1: Yeah. A few days later, Joey reports his cell phone missing conveniently. Hmm. From cell phone records, they can see that he received messages from this number, but they can't tell what the messages were.
0: But they should be able to get them from the other phone number.
1: They all get deleted, too.
0: Oh, and they couldn't recover
1: them? I know. I thought that was kind of weird, too, because definitely at this time, they would have had the technology to do that, but they never do. During the trial they go through this huge thing of tracking like who phoned who at what time and which numbers, but they never actually retrieve the messages. So all they can tell is
0: that they were communicating back and forth all of these times. Yep.
1: Yeah. On August first, a more extensive search warrant raid was conducted on the ranch. A note was written in red on the calendar in Jim's kitchen about returning the rental car.
0: What? Mm-hmm.
1: A credit card found in Jim's residence matched the credit card that was used to rent the vehicle. <laughs> Good. I'm glad he's so dumb. Yeah. Jim was arrested by federal agents, but the charge wasn't murder. What? Nope. They bring him in on the sealed indictment charges for operating a money transfer business without a license, and he's transported to the men's detention center.
0: That is common, where they will bring you in on a lesser charge to give them some time. Yeah. Yeah. It's smart. It's a smart move.
1: It is, because while in federal custody, days after his wife's murder, Jim made a phone call to his sister, Mary. He is unaware that all of the phone calls in jail are recorded. And so he doesn't hide anything or hold anything back.
0: <laughs> oh, dummy.
1: During this phone call, he tells his sister that he's a huge celebrity in jail. And then he knows a lot of people in there. Not a good place to have a social crowd. And How? I don't know. Because they would not be running in the same circles. With his underground business, it makes you wonder, maybe he does run in those circles, right?
0: Oh, true. Good Mm -hmm. point.
1: He warns her not to sell his precious motorcycle because that's the only thing keeping him alive. And he assures her that all of his problems have gone away.
0: His motorcycle was the only thing that was keeping him alive? Mm -hmm. What in the actual heck is going on here? Your motorcycle? Not my children. My precious daughter. No, my motorcycle. Don't don't sell it because that will kill me.
1: Yeah, there was one report. I could only find it in one source, but their youngest daughter actually stayed overnight at a friend's house and nobody went to collect her for a couple of days afterwards. Yeah, he didn't care about her. No, he gave no thought to his daughter.
0: No, he's worried about his motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Wow. Didn't even think to collect her from a sleepover. That's unbelievable. It just really speaks to his character. And it makes me wonder, like, I don't feel like money could turn him into that. You think he was already like that? I think he had that in him. I don't think money makes you not care about your own daughter. There were a lot of
1: personality changes when he started suffering from ruined heart arthritis and he became addicted to pain meds and things like that. But again, those are big personality changes not to care about your own child.
0: Yeah. And you're lucid enough to worry about your motorbike. Yeah. But not your child.
1: Mm -hmm. He's a dirtbag. Oh, such a dirtbag. Mm bag. Jim even made some friends while in federal custody. Sean Smith was his cellmate, a 47-year-old convicted drug dealer who pled guilty to drugs and weapons possession and was awaiting sentencing. Sean told police that he heard Jim make incriminating statements, and he agrees to wear a wire and record Jim's statements. Good. While being recorded, Jim tells his cellmate that he had paid Joey to have his wife killed. He admits to paying Joey $25,000, and he makes horrible, horrible statements about Pam, calling her the most derogatory names and insulting her repeatedly. He tells Sean that she made stuff up, she's just a liar, and that she made all these stupid accusations just to make him look bad.
0: Mm, Sounds like you're talking about yourself, Jim. Mm -hmm. Little Jimmy boy. He even says about
1: the murder, I wanted to do it myself. I wish I could do it myself, but I knew I would get caught. Too bad you're getting caught anyway, dirtbag.
0: That's right.
1: Jim tells his cellmate that he has a new problem to fix and new people to kill. What? Can you guess who it is?
0: Joey? Yes. (laughs) And his henchmen?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. He's upset because they butchered the job of it. They committed the crime in front of all these cameras. They left their prints behind. Yeah, they got caught. Mm Mm-hmm. They did it really sloppily. And I have to laugh at him because he got what he paid for.
0: Yeah, and he was the one who called them and said, come do it now. He knew it was the middle of daylight. He knew there would be cameras.
1: So he solicits Sean to kill Joey and the other two accomplices.
0: But he's in jail. How is Sean going to do that? He's going to have it arranged.
1: Okay. Jim draws a map and offers, again, a payment of $25,000. Well, it worked the first time. Yep. Jim tells Sean that he can't run the risk of Joey running his mouth off. And then jokes about them planning a multiple homicide. But then what
0: is he going to do? He's going to then have Sean murdered and everybody? I don't know what he's thinking. He thanks Sean, though, for helping him out of a jam by agreeing to do it. Yeah, Thanks, buddy.
1: Yeah, you're really helping me out here. In the middle of the recording, Sean asks Jim if he wouldn't have been better off just paying Pamela the money. And Jim replies, no, she wouldn't listen to reason. She wouldn't keep her mouth shut. People will believe her lies. She was destroying my daughter, she'd never took care of her, and she was destroying me.
0: Oh, that daughter that you left at a friend's house for three days and didn't even give a second thought about? Yep. And who destroyed who? Yeah. You've destroyed everything, Jim. This is all on you.
1: With the tape confession, Jim and Joey are both charged with first-degree murder on September fifteenth, two 2008. The FBI dropped the indictment charges on the same day so that the two cases will not interfere with each other. It would take some time before the police arrested the other two perpetrators that took part in the murder of Pamela that day. The two members of the local gang, referred to as the Loma, were arrested on August 13, 2010. Oh, so ways later. Mm -hmm. Almost two years later. Stephen Simmons' fingerprints were found on the parking ticket and cell phone records confirmed that his phone was within a few feet of the murder taking place. He was the tall man that delivered the actual blows. Oh. Gabriel J. Marquez was the lookout during the commission of the crime while Joey drove the getaway vehicle.
0: That's crazy. I'm shocked that it took them two years when they had his fingerprints. That's some pretty concrete evidence there. Mm-hmm.
1: But it took them that long to actually have something to compare it to. Okay. All three co-defendants were found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole and 25 years for conspiracy. Good. The trial began on May 4th, 2011, and Jim was charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and special circumstances of financial gain and lying in wait, which I'd
0: never heard those ones before. No. Yeah, the financial one like that I've not heard.
1: Throughout the trial, there were several incidences where lawyers and the judge received messages about jury tampering the jurors were accused of discussing the case and doing research on the internet on their own what which is a huge no-no
0: why why would they do that knowing that that's well, they not were, allowed exactly they were given direction not to do just those things
1: and yet throughout the trial different lawyers and the judge receive emails or like notes are slipped to them saying like such and such a juror is doing this And like a whole bunch of tattletaling almost between the jury members.
0: Do you think Jim was paying them off to do this? Oh, yeah.
1: The trial is halted on several occasions to dismiss jury members and bring in alternatives. And then when it just keeps happening over and over again, all the jury members are brought in and questioned individually by the judge if it is they who have been sending messages or if they have been discussing the evidence or researching the case. And then they're all given the question, do you feel that you can proceed with this case? All have no recollection of witnessing any tampering and all deny sending any messages. Ultimately, it's all chalked up to just being a hoax and a way to establish a basis for a mistrial later.
0: Oh, so the jury members weren't actually doing this, but Jim was having someone send these messages as if they had done so.
1: Yeah, they never actually confirm who was sending the messages. But when they brought in the jury members one by one and they brought in all the alternatives too, everyone denied sending any messages in or having witnessed any sort of tampering or anybody saying like talking out a turn after the fact when they weren't allowed to deliberate or discussing the case. Yet none of them remember anything like that. Hmm. And they all feel like, yep, we are still fully capable of taking part in this jury we have not compromised ourselves in any way
0: right it was Jim trying to compromise the trial
1: that would be my guess yeah and it does set him up later on for appeals for
0: sure Mm -hmm.
1: the primary defense raised by Jim's attorneys is to throw Jim's sister Mary under the bus and try to convince the jury that her hatred for Pamela was great enough for her to hire the hit on her (laughs) sister-in-law
0: so he's turning on his sister his Uh only ally probably in life
1: yep While they bring up several questionable behaviors, like messaging Joey on the day of the murder just prior to the act, and most damningly, Jim and Mary's older sister, Patty, revealed that Mary had asked Patty if her husband would kill Pamela for money.
0: What? Mm Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of question about Mary's actions. If Mary's asking about it, then I can't say she was in on it, but she knew about it.
1: She may have planted that seed, just like she planted the seed about the affairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not something
0: you just casually ask somebody. Like, hey, would your husband be willing to offer our sister-in-law? Yeah.
1: Patty's husband was a police officer. Oh. And so Patty was like, uh, no, I think you've forgotten which side of the law he stands on. What? Mm-hmm. So Mary
0: does some really questionable things. That's like me asking you if your husband would commit arson for me. (laughs) Like, hey, do you think he'd set fire to this house for me? I think Mary's thinking was that he's a professional at
1: this, so he'll know how to cover it up the proper way. Oh, my laws. So she did do some really questionable things. And remember, it was her son that the car was originally rented for. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was lots of insinuations that, oh, Mary is the one.
0: That actually hired the hit. Jim knew nothing about it. Oh, I don't believe that. No, not at Mm -hmm. all. I think Mary maybe knew about it and didn't stop it Mm -hmm. or encouraged it. Or planted the seed. Yes.
1: I think so. But either way, the jury doesn't believe the story about Mary being the one to hire the hit.
0: Yeah, she is not the mastermind in this.
1: No. During the trial, Jim waived his own right to testify and only three witnesses are called on his behalf. All the people that were called had had no interaction with him in over 10 years. Ones that knew him before he was overtaken with gold fever. On Friday, May 20th, 2011, Jim Fayad was found guilty of first-degree murder by a jury of eight men and four women after two days of deliberation. He also was found guilty of special circumstances of financial gain and laying in wait. During the victim impact statements, Desiree read a letter that was penned by her mother two years prior to her death when Pamela had created a will and left a note for her daughters. And the note said, To my dear sweet baby girls, please hear me and know that I am forever with you. You are the fruit of my labor in this life and I am so proud of both of you. Listen for my voice to guide you. I want so much to hold you in my arms and kiss your sweet faces for eternity. Please keep my family together with gentle love and understanding. You are all that exists for me now, never abandoned. Family is truly the only thing that is important. Protect each other at all costs. And I thought, did she know even two years before that their own father wouldn't protect them? Yeah.
0: That they would only have each other to take care of each other? That is chilling and heartbreaking at the same time. Mm -hmm. The
1: father that was supposed to protect his little girls let greed overcome him. And instead, he took away the person that was the most important to them.
0: Yeah. You know, when they say it's a green-eyed monster, that is what he became. He became a monster. Mm -hmm. He destroyed his girls' lives. Yeah. Yeah. And now Mm -hmm. he gets to sit in a jail cell too. He ruined his own life even.
1: Well, hopefully he doesn't have to sit there long because James Fayad was sentenced to death and ordered to live out his remaining days in San Quentin. Oh. Unfortunately, the last has not been heard from him because he continues to appeal his sentencing and his conviction.
0: Oh, just shut up. (laughs) Like honestly, like you can just sit there and rot. No one wants to hear from you, Jim. And in 2019,
1: as a wrap-up, $10 million was returned to almost 1,000 e e-bullion customers that were taken advantage of while Jim operated the business.
0: Oh, so he was doing dirty. Mm-hmm.
1: That indictment did find some things that he had done wrong. And that is the greed-infused case of James Michael Fayad, the despicable, selfish dirtbag that was too good to get his own hands dirty in the killing of his children's mother.
0: That is terrible. We are not a fan of Jim. He's such a dirtbag. And there's a reason that greed is one of the seven deadliest sins. It is true. Mm -hmm. If I had to choose, I guess, between these millions of dollars or this happening to my family, I would choose no money. Maybe it's good to be poor.
1: (laughs) Maybe there are less problems when you're
0: poor. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Different problems. And it's not that money is what's evil. It's that love of money and that greed and how that becomes the most important thing in your life. That's what's evil. Money can do a lot of good in the world.
1: He could have done so many good things. And it sounds like Pamela, that's what she was doing with the money. She took care of a sick friend with cancer. She helped out at different charities. That's what she was doing with the money.
0: Yeah, she helped backstabber Joey get a job and have a place to live.
1: Unfortunately for her.
0: Well, I hope it haunts them all. Mm Mm-hmm. I found it interesting, though, that Jim, who
1: orchestrated it, was the only one to get a death sentence. It's true. And the other ones that actually did the crime only got life sentences. But I think that's rightfully so.
0: I do too, actually, because they wouldn't have killed her had it not been for Jim.
1: So listeners, when you gripe next time about not having as much money as you want, (laughs) remember the green-eyed monster and stay away.
0: (laughs) From the monster part, not from wealth in general. (laughs) (laughs) Run away from
1: the green-eyed monster.
0: Yeah, because you can bet your bottom dollar there are other dirtbags like Jim out there.
1: That's right. We're so happy you've joined us this week, and we hope that you come back with us next week. Until then. See ya. Bye.
0: listeners i was just gonna get right into the, t- the case no we need to do how, how awful would it have been like halfway through the case and be like oh did we say hi <laughs> nope i could tell you were about to so i'm like i gotta sneak this in here <laughs> it's rude to not say hello all right you go
1: ahead and say hello then christy
0: okay hello listeners
1: We're <laughs> no, not like that
0: we're very happy that you've been would... <laughs> <laughs>
1: we're very <bleh. laughs> we are
0: very <laughs> the honeymoon parrot Period. Don't put that in the blue bloopers.
1: <laughs> At least that's how I understand their business worked. Okay. I am not a business major.
0: You don't deal with gold every day. No. <laughs> can I leave if, that in. If only our <laughs> listeners knew. Shame messing with no broke.
1: Broke. <laughs> Until the diverse. Diverse.
0: Don't put that in there. <laughs> I feel like I'm saying that a lot in this one. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. (laughs) Kind of, but I am joking.
1: (laughs) Which is perked up. Perked?
0: Just it over there.
1: (laughs) She, she hurts. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't know how to segue into my next thing now. Okay, I'm sorry.
0: (laughs)